This is a Strips Trust podcast. All news and all views expressed in the podcast are those of the contributors, not necessarily those of Morecambe Football Club. Yeah, 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 yeah. God, I believe me. Blessing in the land is Morecambe FC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as me. Blessing in the land is Morecambe FC. Well, welcome along to the podcast of the Shrimps Trust. This is Shrimpnet. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time. This week, we have uh, two trust members joining us to discuss all the week's events, both on and off the field. So a warm welcome to our local business guru and MFC season ticket holder for a thousand years, Michael Gibson. Hello, Posh. Good evening, everybody. Hope everybody's well. It's been a, an interesting week, definitely on and off. And one of the trust top dogs, and also a season ticket holder, and a man of many accountancy talents, it's Jack Steer. Thank you for joining us, Jack. Thank you. Evening all. And obviously, it's Red and Stimpy, me and Joel, as per usual. Um, we've we've taken a little bit of a diversion this week for the simple fact that there's been so much going on, uh, both uh, on and off the pitch, that we thought we would get some trust members on to uh, to maybe talk about more of the off-field, but we'll start with the on-field. Um, Derby County, Pride Park, what could possibly go wrong, Joel? Oh, yeah, two penalties. Connor couldn't save either of them. And, uh, yeah, um, did well for 44 minutes. Yeah, I think, actually, to be honest, actually, looking back on it, the thing that's actually upset me the most about that defeat, I mean, I can handle getting beaten by Derby, but the fact that Connor's penalty record doesn't quite look as shiny anymore, which is really <laughs> upsetting. Uh, but still, five out of eight penalties saved is still phenomenal, so doesn't really take away too much from it. But in terms of the game, yeah, you're right, 44 minutes. Well, I think it might have been stoppage time that uh, McGoldrick scored. Was, but Yeah, for, for much of that first half, it was a really close game. Derby didn't really have very much. If you look back over the chat, maybe a couple of half chances, if you can even call them that, to be honest. They didn't have very much. With a couple of moments in their final third, didn't quite create anything fully, but some dangerous moments and it was it was positive but I think you know I like to harp on about tactics and stuff a little bit but I don't really think that was much that was really in play in how they won the game derby I think it was just that they they got their noses in from through a bit of individual quality right in half time David McGoldrick and yeah it was good for him it was a good free kick and it and it just kind of goes from there. And then I think made a couple of errors at the start of the first half. They've got the backs up with the crowd behind them. And and it just kind of goes from there with, with the quality that, that they have up front. And yeah, it's just, it's a bit frustrating how it, it, it's panned out. And, and the two penalties were oh, pretty devious. And it, but at the end of the day, going away to a place like Derby, you, you really wanted to take them in nil nil at half time because they've been in great form, but. They're playing little on Morecambe, and if they're nil nil at half time, they're going to be getting a little bit itchy, and that's maybe when you start to get a few tensions coming in. But McGoldrick sticking that free kick away just for half time that just takes the pressure off them a bit, means they can kind of play a little bit more openly in the second half, be a bit more expressive, have a bit more momentum and confidence, and uh, and that's what they did. And I think, uh, yeah, the quality shone through in the end. Uh, I think it was an interesting change from Derek, uh, by the way, going to four three three. I mean, it did. Uh, looking at some of the reaction on Facebook, it, it did very much show that as a football manager, you just can't win. 
Uh, <laughs> after getting slated for his three-five-two or whatever, whatever he was doing over yeah. Christmas, it's too defensive. Derek, can't believe you're doing this. And then he goes to four-four-three-three Derby County away, and everybody goes, mm, "I don't like it. It's too attacking." It's like, <laughs> what can he do? But yeah, the formation yeah. was fine. We played really well the first half. The thing that swung it was a moment of quality from a Goldrick and the momentum swinging, and maybe a couple of decisions not going our way. And one final point to make on the game. Uh, I've been wound up this week by Derby fans, and not just Derby fans, Derby press as well, I think, which is particularly poor of them, to be honest, about uh, complaining about the fact that Derek Adams highlighted uh, the, the the kind of the gap in our budgets. Now, yes, obviously, Derby can't pay transfer fees for people, okay? We understand that. However, they do have to pay their football players a salary, and a wage budget is how you do that, and their wage budget is massively bigger than ours. So it doesn't really matter. So, look, maybe that, maybe the 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 restrictions on transfer fees will probably be a hindrance for them breaking the top two. Fair enough. Is it going to be a hindrance for them beating teams like Morecambe? No. At the end of the day, is McGoldrick, is David McGoldrick and Connor Horahan, are they going there for one and a half grand a week because they like the, <laughs> because they like the idea of the project? No, they're not. <laughs> so. Come on now, stop being ridiculous. You've got a massive wage budget compared to ours. Fair enough, you can't pay transfer fees. You might struggle to break the top two or make players as secure as you want to, but when it comes to uh, playing a side like ourselves or ourselves or anybody else around this area, the area that we're in, it is comfortably enough to get the quality that you need to beat us. So, yeah, I felt that point needed to be made. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I've never seen you so riled. I know, yeah, I just... I just <laughs> <laughs> the, the blind ignorance of logic is just winding me up this week. But um, it, it's um, it's a familiar a familiar shout. Uh, but when we say it, and I'm, I stand with Posh and the Bartercard, and uh, we weekly lately we've been we've been scoring a goal and turning around to each other. How are we not top of this Tim Pot League? Well, honestly, Derby can say that we say jokingly, <laughs> Posh, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think you know the, the the biggest sign of that, and I think probably the best bit for the whole day for me was wandering in there and seeing twenty six thousand people. I mean, it was an extraordinary sight. It's a fantastic ground, and the atmosphere was amazing. Um, you know that that really summed up the difference. And and you know it's ironic that only a few days later we're probably going to be in a situation where it, that number is going to be smashed at um, Sheffield Wednesday. But, you know, to see a fantastic modern ground like that just absolutely ramped to the rafters was just an extraordinary experience in its own right. You know, a little old Morecambe playing in that um, environment. And I think there is an element of, and picking up one, what, a couple of things Joel said. So firstly is the press reaction. I remember when we went to, first went to Portsmouth and we, you know, we were so used to going to grounds and just buying tickets on the day that when we'd pre-sold four tickets, you know, the amount of patronising behaviour from Portsmouth fans was absolutely staggering. And then, you know, and everyone else like, and and the, the catering, I mean, they they ran out at halftime of food at Derby and they ran out of food um, before the match at Portsmouth that day. And so sometimes there's a bit of a poor treatment of, uh, you know, the of sides and it's like, well, you know, the fact that we brought the third biggest away attendance on, the, on that weekend was damned impressive in its own right. And, but yeah, not to have things like food and stuff like that. It's basic as it gets, you know, you're trying to sell to people and you sometimes just feel that you just get that bit of poor treatment. Um, it, it and is then really, good. Sorry, sorry I, I just want to, I want to take, take the point there because you're absolutely right. 819 fans made, uh, our average home gate is just a little over 4,000. So take that 819 into the 4,000 
and work it out. Would uh, would Derby bring five thousand to us? No. Oh, you never know if we if we had the capacity. And it's a little bit challenging to squeeze five thousand in that place, but you know, it'd be yeah, nice. Hey, hey, we we'd squeeze them in somewhere. <laughs> Which wouldn't be able to squeeze in any of our own fans. No, yeah. no, yeah. And the second element of treatment was was on the pitch. You know, I thought that I thought that um, we were we got some very dubious decisions. I mean, the the, the one of the penalties was clearly foot to ball straight away. You know, you, everybody could see it from our side, and it was just you first know you've got to. And that it was a bit of a homer of a ref all the way. You know, bits and pieces all the way through, and it's very easily to be influenced by a baying. 26,000 crowd against, you know, little old Morecambe. Um, I do think, as as Joel said, I think if we'd have, you know, they'll they'll look at that that first goal and think maybe we should have spotted that he was, you know, what the his positioning and maybe had somebody to run onto him and close him down when that ball was laid off and that could have made all the difference in the game. But I think once that went in and the second, the, you know, it was all over really. Um, yeah, heads went down and we were... We were overran, but to be honest, that first half was good enough until that goal. I thought we did. I thought we did extremely well. A great experience, though, Jack. Surely, yeah, definitely. I think uh, you know these are the sorts of games that we're in this division to see. And uh, you know, even though it was five uh, 0 in the end, there were still uh, elements to the game that were that were, were good from us. Uh, as Joe says, the first uh, you know forty odd minutes, I uh, thought we you know pretty much matched them. We certainly coped with them. Um, but, you know, when we're playing teams like that, the first goal is always going to be key. And, uh, you know, to, to concede on, on, on the stroke of half-time, that was the killer, really. If we'd have gone in at nil-nil, you never know, second half, um, you know, but but really we need to be scoring first. Um, but, yeah, nonetheless, uh, you know, great day out. Uh, as you say, 819, uh, fantastic number. Um, and, you know, I think, I think everyone enjoyed it. I think you saw that at the final whistle as well. It wasn't, you know... A man that left the stadium in our end, uh, despite the scoreline. So, uh, you know, we'll enjoy it and uh, we'll go again. And I do want to pick up on the, uh, you know, um, Farron Rawson, a bit unlucky, maybe did get a bit, a little bit of the, the man there. But the first one, I, I don't think, I think Simeon just got the ball there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he, I think he volleyed the bat, the bottom of Simeon's foot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like he'd done he that. he kicked Simeon. That's what I'm saying. I think he got the Simeon got the ball. Yeah, again and again and again, thinking, was he given that as a bloody? I, I don't get it. But anyway, I, I, my point yeah. is, my point is, we haven't had a penalty since Bolton last season, which was March. So we've gone nearly full twelve months. Obviously, yeah. we don't get penalties in uh, sort of May, June, and July, do we? Because we don't play. But we haven't had a penalty since Bolton last season. So. It's we've had we've had dodgier dodgier ones than that not given, yeah. uh, and that's all I'm going to say on it. So, but it just goes to prove Posh's point that when you've got 20, 25,000 people paying for a penalty, that you'll you'll give it. And I, I think um, when we look back at the season that we actually got promoted in League Two, hmm. we were saying many times that some of our away performances may may well not have been enough to win a game. If there was a crowd there, but they were because there was no crowds there, and it did make a difference that season, if you remember. So uh, you've got to take the rough with the smooth, I suppose. Anyway, yeah, talking. The, the, the only comment I make on the game, really, I mean, I, you know, if, uh, second half that you know we made a huge amount of substitutions, and I think given the given the scoreline, it probably was a was a wise decision to give the people a you know a bit of a run out and rest a couple, change the side a little bit. But the um, 
you know, I didn't on, on the flank. I didn't think Donald and Arthur was particularly the strongest of uh, combinations. When you've got a team absolutely running at you down there, you know, you've and and you know, it's not to crit- overly criticise the players, but if Arthur didn't come track, if Arthur had tracked back, or he had if somebody was tracking back, you know, you, you, they, he was overrun by a, by a, you know by a winger and a and a and a fullback who would and Donald was stuck between the pair of them and didn't really quite know where to go in that second half. And I think you'll look back on that and maybe, you know, the, you've, you've sometimes, you know, winning formations and things like that might, I'm not saying go back to def- a defensive formation like that, but, you know, we actually had a fairly good winning combo, um, you know, at home. And whether you could have just carried that same formation and team in, as much as possible into that game, I'm not sure, particularly why the changes are. Joe might have an idea more than me, but it just didn't, sometime, it worked okay, but, you know, it didn't seem to hold. Once we'd conceded, it didn't seem to hold. Yeah, well, I think Derek alluded, yeah, Derek alluded to the having wingers, proper wingers, to offer a threat on the counter. I think he alluded to that in a interview at some point this week I also wonder as well if it was partly as well uh, well I think Derby can't actually I'm not going to say what the formation Derby play because I can't actually remember but uh, I think I wonder if it was also maybe to double up uh, down the flanks as well have an extra having the winger defending have two on yeah. the flanks uh, I don't maybe just yeah I don't know I see that but you just you can see where it fell down as well was like yeah. Adam, May, Adam May was was that probably our, I thought our best player first half but then, but then, um, you know, but he also tracks back and he works back, whereas Arthur wasn't tracking back in the same way. And you need the winger to do both jobs, really, in that scenario. Um, yeah, I think you do. I'm, I'd have to watch it back to kind of really pull too much more out of it. But yeah, it, it, it's one of those maybe Matt Arthur's lacking a bit of match sharpness because he hadn't played yeah. for a while. And mm-hmm. I think he did. So I think he showed some nice touches in the first half and helped link up a couple of moves. But yeah, it was. Well, like you say, when they've got the when they get their their backs up and their heads drop a little bit, it's just tricky, isn't it? We, we've yeah. suffered two very heavy away defeats, where obviously uh, early goal in the first forty five seconds at Ipswich and 50, 52 minutes three nil down with twenty five thousand Bain Derby fans uh, with a dodgy penalty. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to complain. It, it's our battle is not with Derby and not with Ipswich. Our battle is to go beat the teams around us. And that moves a nice segue into Forest Green at home on Saturday. Uh, and obviously, surprise in uh, appointing Duncan Ferguson, who is... Uh, um, I saw I saw a little interview where they were interviewing Dale Vince and Duncan Ferguson about giving him the job. And they appeared with two veggie burgers. <laughs> Have you seen that? And the look on Duncan Ferguson's face is like, yeah, yeah that looks really tasty. <laughs> I think he's given an interview when he said he's uh, recently discovered that chips are actually vegan, which he's delighted yes, by. And, <laughs> that was fantastic. And then also, one. apparently, he's, at one point, he's also said, uh, I think in that interview, he said, oh, yeah, the, the planet's warming up, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> which was Honestly, it's quality. When he, says, when he says chips are vegan, Dale Vince looks at him like, I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> it's genius, but obviously they're hoping for the uh, the the uh, the Ferguson effect. But thankfully, uh, it hasn't kicked in yet, Joel. So it's going to be an interesting six signings rumored to have paid, we think, three hundred k for the lad from Rangers. Uh, but interesting enough, um, let probably their most influential player go. Yeah, it's 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 a funny one with them because you do feel that. 
Dumpen Ferguson might be brought in for a bit of knee manager bounce with a you know with the reputation he has, but it obviously hasn't worked. And well, it looked like it might have been working actually up until the ninety fourth minute of his <laughs> first game with a against against Shrewsbury and 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 then obviously blown it in there. And I think it was was it Peterborough they had last time out, and that that's, yeah. all, that's always going to be a tricky game. So look. You know, it, you don't want to judge, you don't want to read too much into managers because, you know, we don't know a lot about Duncan Ferguson as a manager. I think he's come with a bit of a reputation of being more on the passionate man management side of things. And, you know, I don't think you can really get away with that too much at League One level. You look at the rest of the managers in this division, they're a lot, you know, they're, they're, they're all good tactical brains out there in League One. And, uh, and the flip side, I think it got mentioned to me. I can't remember. It might be yourself, please. I can't quite remember, but apparently uh, Carlo Ancelotti wanted to take him to uh, Real Madrid with him. So he can't be an idiot. So <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti wouldn't have wanted to take him to Real Madrid with him, if not. So, yeah, he's obviously got something about him. It's just a little bit unclear. Like Derek uh, alluded to it in, a, in, a, in an interview earlier today. He's, you know, coming in in January, you've not necessarily got a lot of time to kind of imprint what you want to on your players so it is always going to be tricky uh although i don't want to go too much into it because it just feels like i'll be putting a curse on things because obviously they're they're in a horrible run of form they've lost that opening two games on under the new manager we're in fantastic form at home we've won four on the balance we've not lost an eight at home so it just kind of feels like if i say too much i'll you know jinx it and we'll lose so mm. but yeah i feel obviously this is one that you definitely would be targeting to win because you know, the, these the, you know, the, the, they're called six pointers for a reason, and I'm hopeful that we bounce back from Ipswich last week, and hopefully we can do the same against Forest Green after Derby now. So they're hoping for the brave heart, brave heart effect. I said brave heart effect. There, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're hoping a few for the brave heart effect. Um, we're we're hoping that um, kind of hoping that Derek Beddoe's fit to go to a. A back three, and he puts Mellon up front, aren't we, Jack? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think first of all, we can we can put that five nil straight behind us as we did last time. You know, the other week, uh, we, you know, our, our home form is really good, uh, unbeaten in eight. Um, I think, to be honest, it doesn't matter who we're playing at the moment at home. We've got to take confidence from the way we're playing. You know, we scored a lot of goals recently, played really well. You know, they're not lucky results. We deserved them. There could have been further goals, I think, in some of them games. So, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll be full of confidence going into weekend. But we, we never take, you know, any team for granted. And, uh, you know, we will have to fight for the for the three points. But, you know, I'm sure we'll do that. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, welcome welcome him to the uh, to, to League One football uh, and, and, and the stadium. And, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of fans coming down as well. I know some, some people from work are coming down just to see him. Um, so, but uh, let's show them their, their performance as well, and uh, make sure they're coming back uh, for other reasons than uh, the opposition manager. So, um, and uh, officially, Saturday is um, is uh, steak and ale pie only in the away end. <laughs> I may have made that up. <laughs> in fact, I have made that up, but it sounds good, doesn't it? You know, they'll be desperate. All their fans will be desperate for a decent pie anyway, won't they? So, there you go. Apparently, the, uh, the the vegan pie is actually meant to be very tasty at uh, the Mazuma. Uh, yeah, it's, the vegan pie is very good. I've actually had it at the Mazuma, but I, I did have it with peas and gravy because the gravy's vegan. There we I go. Gravy. So there you go. 
And Dale, I, tried. I hope Dale's paying a visit and uh, giving us yeah. our give, giving us our credit where it's due. Yeah, good man. Uh, anyway, you'll be happy to chat to Dale Vince on Saturday Posh having an electric car and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it, um, it, Dale. You know, we've gone. We're going to talk about it later, but you know, um, you can't knock Dale Vince. You know, he's a really successful businessman. You know, um, the the whole vegan stuff is a is something that he strongly believes in, but it also plays really, he makes it work in his favour. You know, he's, he's got, that. he raises the profile every time for the football club because of it, and he does loads of other stuff, and you can't can't knock him, you know, and when he, when the club needs, you know, everybody thinks, you know, sugar daddies and all that kind of thing, um, but he's invested a lot of money, unlike a lot of chairmen, into actually into the ground, you know, and, and but follows his passion and belief. I think he's a, he's an extraordinary guy. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, you, some of his interviews are a bit hard work but um yeah but you know you can't knock him for it um and hiring Duncan Ferguson you know it, I personally it's one of those that could really backfire um as Joel said you know you I could imagine him being a real you know uh rabble rouser in the dressing room you know yeah um you said about Braveheart you know you can kind of imagine that kind of you know that kind of speeches in the dressing room kind of stuff but at this level, I don't think that's what wins your football games. I think it's what, you know, it's the tactics, it's the structure, it's the, you know, getting the best out of players. And there's a lot, a hell of a lot of good managers in this league who are very good, you know, Derek obviously included. Um, and it will be interesting to see whether he can actually rise to that that challenge of being a proper coach as opposed to just simply a um, a manager and shouter and everything else that he's made reputations for, really. So a couple of points Um which I wanted to make. First of all, I, I take your point about, you know, he, he moved them sort of like 200 yards away from where they were, from the old lawn to the new lawn, um, which, you know, um, and he's moving them again. Well, he actually didn't move them. They already moved when he got there, but he's building, is it the old wooden thing near the M5? Mm. Uh, which is, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is nice because at the moment it's the equivalent of our ground uh, and giving the away fans the Berlin Wall, which I think is really, really, <laughs> given the weather that they have, that we have in this country, I think that's really crappy, giving them the open side with like five steps of terrace in and a, a crappy little, I think that's, you know, and that's beside the bye. But secondly, obviously take the game where we actually went there and, and got our only away win of the season. And there seems to be something about Forest Green and injury time, doesn't there, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. You know what? I wish you'd mentioned that before because I would have I would have had a little route around to see how many injury time goals they conceded. But yeah, that's that's a, that, that's a good point. Yeah, is it a lot? Yeah. So the last two home games they've done it, and the last away game they did it. Ooh. Like, what's going on here? They can yeah. be- I mean, you don't want to you don't want to put too much stock. Maybe sometimes in some things, but at the same time, you know, when when we got promoted, we had a fantastic knack of getting the late goals. When we went through particularly bad patches last season, uh, the knack was conceding late goals, and it, it does take a toll. You know, it takes the wind out of your sails as a side. So, yeah, hopefully, I mean, hopefully, we'll have the game sewn up by stoppage time, though. I'm hoping. Uh, if it, well, we we could well do if it, if our recent home performances are anything to go by. But like I said, I don't want to curse it. Well, our uh, if our recent away form is anything to go by, <laughs> uh, next Tuesday's match at Hillsborough, we're five nil down on aggregate after two games already. What could possibly go right? Um, and uh, me, being an idiot, decided oh, I think I'll go to Hillsborough. I have no idea why. Um, <laughs> uh, Sheffield Wednesday odds on they signed 
two of Rotherham's better players that got them promoted last season. They've been scoring goals for fun. Uh, we held them for about 70 minutes at our place and then they, they eventually last told, uh, mainly because Barry Bannon had the freedom of the uh, of, uh, Lancaster and Morecambe College. But um, looking at the FA Cup defeat, I, from that point of view, I don't think we were ever really in that. But um, there's points to play for, but our away form is at best dodgy, Joel. What are you expecting there? Yeah, I think I'm expecting quite a low away attendance, if I'm perfectly honest. It's a bit of a tricky place. You can't really get to it on public transport that easily, uh, Hillsborough, and, and definitely not on a Tuesday night. And then, uh, obviously, it's Valentine's Day. So good luck anybody who wants to swing going to Hillsborough away on Valentine's Day. I think I think Sally's going out with a boyfriend, to be honest. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be why. Get you out of the house. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, no, yeah, I think it is going to be an extraordinary tough, uh, a very, very, very tough game. As we've seen in recent weeks with Derby, with with it switch and yeah, going to these places, I think you have to say if we get anything from it, it's a bonus. At the same time, yeah, we do a win. Well, not a win, but some kind of positive result in one of these games. So, yeah, you know, you live in hope. But again, I think we've we've said it so many times in recent weeks. It's not going to be these games that define our season. If we can get some points here, that'd be absolutely lovely. And you know, it'd be you know, we catch a few other teams out, just keep us clamped at the table a little bit. But ultimately, I, I couldn't care less if we lose to Sheffield. Well, I, I, obviously, I will care a little bit, but uh, I, I'm yeah, it's all about Forest Green, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. But um, so come on, then I'm going to put you two on the spot. Are you uh, are you preparing a uh, candlelit dinner for two? Not between the two of you, obviously, <laughs> but uh, candlelit dinner for two for your betrothed or your beloved or. Are you like me being kicked out of the house and go to Sheffield Wednesday because my boyfriend's coming round? <laughs> I think he'll be. Uh, I'll, be I'll let you know if you've got space in the car. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have got space in the car actually. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you know. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> yeah. Just, just I follow for me. I think. Uh, uh, done that. Well, if you like, so bad is it? <laughs> no, I've done, she- done, done Sheffield Wednesday once, and uh, it wasn't a great experience to be honest. So I'm not rushing to get back. <laughs> If, it, if it's any consolation, I've been there. I've been there twice to watch Chelsea and uh, once to watch Morecambe, and I haven't seen any of my teams score there yet. <laughs> so uh, yeah, could be fun. But like I said, like you're exactly right, Joel. That's not the, that's not going to define as the Forest Green game is the more important one because that puts them, you know, it's uh, it puts us more points ahead of them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we've got to keep. And if the home form, as Jack has alluded to, carries on going. Um, we've got nine nine home games left, so you know that that could be you know twenty twenty one points there maybe, um, it, it pushing our luck a little bit, and all of a sudden we beat Forest Green on Saturday. We, you know you're looking at you're looking at nearly fifty points there. That should keep us up. Yeah. Uh, we, me and Joel actually were talking this about on Twitter. I I, I said uh, forty eight was probably the, yeah. the mark you've got to aim for. I think forty eight will be enough. Um, but if you look at recent history, probably forty seven, forty six. Is probably right. Is on you know is maybe good enough, yeah. um, and we don't seem to be in the same repeat as last season. You know that suddenly the likes of Doncaster and Crew just falling away really quickly. Um, this time round, there seems to be a lot of investment. You know, obviously you've talked about the three hundred k that's been spent at Forest Green. Burton have obviously invested in a few. Um, 
um, Aki Lesso, you know, they've got that striker in from Arsenal. Um, but other than that, really, not a lot. Um, and they're dead, if, you know, their, their game against Port Vale, um, bit of a weird one. I think it was their only, only shot of the game. So um, there's a, there's a, there's, you know, we, we, we've got a lot, a hell of a lot of work to do. Um, but you know, like you say, I think if we could pick up, you know, I think, I think eight, you know, look at the home games, um, we pick say six home wins out of those eight games. It'd be amazing if we could do something like that. And then it's just then what we can, you can you scrap against the, the better sides? I'm afraid though, that will not be against Sheffield Wednesday. So just have a nice night out, get some decent chips on the way or something like that, you know, have a couple of pints and, enjoy it and then just hope you know i think what we do we do need to do though is start finding a way to pick up some points on the road i think that's obviously a concern obviously not necessarily against sheffield wednesday but um you know we've got some fixtures coming up that we need to be getting some points on on the road otherwise you know we are relying on that home form continuing and i think you know if we want to be uh comfortable towards the end of the season we do need to find a way to get points because at the minute we're, we're struggling a bit yeah, I think... Um, looking at... Sorry, go on. Sorry, go on. No, just looking at games like MK Dons and Fleetwood that are coming up, you know, and MK Dons have obviously been on a bad run of form, although it seems to be turning a bit of a corner at the moment. Um, but, you know, we go to MK Dons in the same way as we did in the Cup and just capitulate, you know, we, and we're just not, you know, we're not going to play. You've got to go there with with real intent and, you know, with a glamour level of aggression and everything else. Sometimes we show at home and really take getting teams' faces and everything else, put a really good high press on and make people work and you know you're there. And if you don't go out with that intent, it just seems like when you know we're not going to get we're not going to get anything. So it's it's got to start cobbing. But you know what Derek's like all of a sudden, you know, a bit of end of season games, a bit like Charlton last year would be nice, you know, and suddenly we start e- eking out a few points where we can see weak teams and find the weaknesses and pull them apart when we need to it'd be great. Just a sad stat for you that our record against MK Dons is uh, scored non-conceded six, which is even worse than the Sheffield Wednesday one. So I'm like, ah. anyway, never mind. We move on. Um, and obviously, it, it, with what's been happening off the field uh, over the past three months, I think it's about time. Uh, and the, one of the reasons we haven't got anybody on from the club this week is because I wanted to discuss uh, the prospective Sam Jot Joe Hall takeover. Uh, 20 years old tycoon um a couple of things i want to say first of all um the daily mail led with an article about a month ago um which was uh poor journalism in the in in my book um said that and it's been picked up by two other newspapers this week saying that saab jock johal has beaten tyson to the club uh meaning tyson fury and as we all know now Tyson Fury very kindly went on TalkSport, uh, for those that don't know, and advertised that the club was for sale. That's what he did. He said, I am thinking of buying it. And as we now know, he was at the club at nine o'clock the morning after saying, I'm not thinking of buying it. I just thought I'd give you a plug. And he attracted a buyer. And that's where Sam Jots come in. So uh, anybody, any journalist worth his salt, if he picked a phone up, could have found that out. But Obviously, that, that myth is still being peddled. So that's the first thing. Secondly, uh, the the beautiful Daily Mail, um, who I read every day not, um, decided that, that the club was uh, on offer around 20 million. <laughs> um, so um, if anybody from the Daily Mail is listening, are you on ketamine in your office? Mm-hmm. Have, you done, have you picked a phone up and asked a question, a decent question? That's just crap journalism. Because again, completely and utterly untrue, nowhere near that. 
So those are the two things I want to point out. But then obviously we come to Saab himself. Um, Vitanic, um, you were trying to get a bottle of that, Joel. You couldn't get it. Tell me. Yeah, obviously it's a company where <clears throat> it, it's a soft drinks brand that is associated with the Saab job and that he owns. But obviously you look at it and you go online to the shop and, and you can't buy it, which is odd i think but i think uh we've we've got uh we've got jack and posh on the podcast who uh are here to talk about the financial things a little bit more and give probably a bit more detail than i can on these kind of areas because i mean let's be fair chaps um obviously everybody's everybody's a trust member these this is it this is important stuff isn't it we've been in a situation not that long ago where joseph keller and diego limos uh, we're in serious, serious competition uh, to buy the club. Uh, that was under the previous owners. And then obviously we've got the situation where Bond Group owners at the moment, uh, and that doesn't include Miss Moneypenny. But from that point of view, um, we're a bit, the board itself are running the club, but it's up to Bond Group to decide who they sell to and how much they want for it. So we're all a bit tied hands tied so when Sabjot's come in if his intentions are real um tell tell me a little bit posh about the the his companies well uh, yeah i mean it, first of all i think you've got to take a little step back a bit i think you know first of all there's a good reason why the football club's up for sale so you've got to bear in mind that you know the club is up for sale and there's and there's probably very good reason behind that you know what's happened at Worcester warriors etc um, you know, don't want to speculate about Jason Whittingham and what he's involved in and everything else, but he's the sole owner of the club through through his company. And at the end of the day, he wants to get he wants the club off his hands. Now, in my view, Jason got very lucky. Um, you know, he bought the club um because as far as I'm aware, that obviously the lending to the club wasn't paid you know wasn't paid so he effectively picked up the club for nothing pretty much i don't know that's largely i think that's largely accurate and then um weirdly the pandemic came around so um and actually for a club like Morecambe, we got loads of grants and everything else and that and furlough money and everything else and that offset the potentially offset a lot of the losses that the club would normally have had so that was a pretty good one and then you look at the players that suddenly sold carlos uh sam Jack Kingdon, I think it was, and um, Leif Davis. There was around about a million quid there of money to prop up the club. And if you like, that's all gone now. And I don't think he's in a position to pay. So first of all, we need a buyer. Yeah. So there's a there's a pressure on us to to find a buyer and get one. So and, well done, well done, Tyson on advertising us then. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and and that, but um, so you've got a. Every buyer that comes through, you know, I, I don't think we can look down on on a potential buyer. I think we've got to take things at fact, you know, rather than because yeah, I think there's a lot of emotion around this. There's a lot of things about having a go at him, and you never want him to be anywhere near our club. I think everybody who comes forward with a legit, you know, what they might feel is a legit offer or whatever needs to be inspected on the on the value of what's there. So I think that that's the first thing. And then you know there is the general. Um, approach to this which is the smell test you know does it does it smell right and fundamentally you've got two or three factors for me the number first one is why is a 20 year old lad who should be i know i'm not you know being sick he may not drink but he might want you know you'd expect me down the pub or 
or playing football with his mates or doing something else? Why is a 20-year-old lad who's trying to build a company thinking that he, that he wants to go buy a football club? And especially when he lives in Edgbaston and there's absolutely no connection whatsoever with Morecambe, why this club? And to me, that just doesn't make any sense. I just, you know, if you look at all the kind of owners of football clubs, yes, there'll be Americans who come over and think, you know, that you'll buy Wrexham because, you know, you can see a fairy tale. But you've got, you know, you look at their business model. It's a brilliant one. And you know where their money comes from. So that makes sense. And that's the second side of it. Where's the money? And we can talk about Vitanic and lovely drinks, I think, or whatever. But, you know, and there's other businesses like Saab Capital and all this kind of stuff. But when you go through all those companies, and we don't want to go and bore everybody with the details, but... And Jack will talk about this more, but you look at the, the you know the assets, the the you can find it all on company's house, and that's where everybody goes first of all. You go and look at company's house, and you go and have a look, and you see what's there. And then when the cars turn up at the stadium, you can go online and see whether those cars are owned or whether they're leased and different things. And and when you go through all this stuff, it just doesn't add up. If he, if he's alleged to be pay, putting five million pounds down to buy the club, where does that money come from? And if that's through a business, legitimately, where has that money come from? And there is absolutely no evidence that there is £5 million of cash been generated through his businesses to fund those businesses. So the EFL will ask that question and say, where's your money? Where's your evidence? Where's it come from? Where's it continue? You know, you don't just put £5 million up. It's got to be like, how are you going to fund the club? Not this year, the rest of this season, the next season, and so on and so forth. Where's this regular money going to come from? And at the moment, I can't see, and nobody else, Martin, Caledine, anybody else, all these other good people are out there, can't see any evidence whatsoever. So he's got to come up with some pretty good answers. And and I'd, I'd be fascinated to know where, where that is, because none of it, to me, makes any sense whatsoever. And I presume, Jack, you're of a similar uh, a similar take on it. I think so, yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, fir- the first thing to say is, obviously, you know, we've been in this situation before. Um, so I think that, is why there's a lot of nervousness, um, you know, amongst all supporters um, over the situation. Um, in terms of the information that, that's out there, which I'm sure uh, everyone everyone sort of read on Twitter and the like, um, as Posh sort of alluded to, that there's, there's, there's just nothing there at the moment. So there's, there's no clarity, there's no substance behind anything. Um, you know, the companies, um, you know, you can follow the company trails throughout a company's house. They're all relatively new companies. Um, in a lot of cases, there's, there's no published um, accounts yet because they're that new or where there are accounts, uh, they're, they're, they're technically insolvent. So they've got a negative balance sheet, i.e. Uh, they're, not, they're not profitable in any way. Um, so at, at the moment, there's sort of no clarity uh, on public record as to where uh, that wealth may have accumulated, um, you know, whether there's that wealth to support the company. You know, I think we understand that the, the club is a loss-making uh, entity. Over recent years, it hasn't been, but for, for, for the large part, it, it is a loss-making uh, company. Um, and then someone needs to sustain those losses, uh, any owner, ultimately. Um, so, you know... From from my reading of it, roughly five five to £600,000 a year losses. That, that was the standard, you know, published results um, prior to the pandemic. Um you know the position now we don't know um i think the, the next set of accounts are due quite soon actually but but again we're we're always sort of you know nine months a year behind um the, the published results so we're not seeing an up-to-date position at any point um 
So yeah, it's it's the uncertainty, um, you know, and I think uh, everyone just wants a bit of clarification on that, really. Um, which is why, um, as a trust, we put the statement out that we did earlier in the week. You know, acknowledging that information that's out there, um, acknowledging the, the the position that every party is in. You know, so um, we we know that the directors um, sort of ultimately have no say on. Uh, this is the directors of the football club have no say on on who the club is sold to. Really, it's it's in Jason's uh, hands. Um, yeah, equally, as 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 Posh has explained, you know, we know Jason needs to sell the club, has to sell the club, wants to sell the club. Um, you know, and so so that has to happen. Um, and then you know, our understanding is that it's it's with the EFL um, to to do their due diligence, uh, and we've kind of got to trust that process. Um, you know, it's not on us to prove um, where South Capital's income no. or, or, or cash is. It's for them to to justify that and give that evidence to the EFL, and then do they the, the due diligence um, to sort of back that up and give that confirmation that they're satisfied that he is a you know a, a, a fit and proper uh, person to run the football club. I think um, you know that, that most fans and. Lots of fans that I speak to, and I'm sure it's the same, you know, you have the same conversation. You know, um, it some, something somewhere has to be put in place for him to pass the test, and that's fine. And as we've said, I want to be I want to be fair and I want to be balanced. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm not we're not here to sort of like make decisions on the evidence that we think because yeah. we haven't got any evidence, but that's part of the problem. In the fact a little bit of information can obviously be a dangerous thing, can't it? Because you can make make the rest of it up and think, ah, you know, and, I, I you know, it, it's got to be right for the reasons that I outlined before. We've had Joseph Keller and we've had Diego Lemos. And I, I don't want to go through that again because that's kind of where the trust came from, isn't it, Joel? Because we got together because those, those two people put us in a situation where we actually thought, hang on, dearie, if they get in charge, we're, we're going to be naked. Yeah, yeah, obviously that's what's happened in the past. And as a trust, it's something we are very, very wary of. And I think we are fortunate that we have got people on board with the trust who are going to work hard and they're going to, they, they've got the knowledge to be able to try and hold things to hold people to account. Now, obviously, same as the board of directors, we're not going to, we're not going to be the ones who make the final decision. And like you said, we've got, we, you know, it, uh, as much as we've got to hold people to account, we do need to give people a fair say. But ultimately, I think everybody on on everybody in the Shrimps Trust is on the same page that we do want to do what we can to try and strive for the best outcome for the club. And I think at the moment that's how that that thing is doing the due diligence and and making sure that we do ask the right questions, which which we do have people doing. I think yeah. just to jump in on that, sorry, Freeze. Um, I think I think it's worth reiterating. Um, the uh, sort of protection that the club uh, has got in place uh, through the JB Christie Trust. Yeah, um, right. I have listened to uh, a few poc- uh, podcasts just before, actually, that sort of I d- didn't understand um, that position. So I think for anyone that's listening who who doesn't sort of understand that, um, you know, the, the ground is protected by that trust, and there's a detailed. It is, and there's a detailed explanation on the Shrimps Trust website, which I would refer anyone to, which explains. Um, that position, um, but that 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 has been a, you know a huge backstone I think for the last uh, you know few years. 
in that no one's really able to do anything with that with 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 that ground you know that the land is not owned by Morecambe Football Club Limited um it is for Morecambe Football Club and there's a key distinction between those two um two things um and uh, and will be forever yeah I mean it, I mean I was involved in the in the establishment of the Shrimps Trust and it was the and I think I, I largely wrote that page because I was determined to get it up there as almost as a warning message because we didn't have it you know it was like somebody could have just come in and think well I'll ask strip and I think you know there's a feeling that that, that could have happened in the scenario that we're talking about why did Bond Group come in and you know okay they picked it up because of a, a technically a def, potentially a default on a loan or whatever but you know it was too it was a, the a couple of days before we were playing Coventry in the last game of the season, we could have been relegated. And if you actually think, why would somebody buy a club or take over a club at that particular stage? And you're thinking about, you know, asset stripping and everything else. And, you know, it was alluded to in the Price of Football podcast. I think that's probably the one you were referring to. I, th- I think for anybody listening, is more, you know, for all Morka fans who are listening, I think this is the, why we set, why the Shrimps Trust was set up by the people you yeah. see here and by everyone else. Because... The, the football club has got its hands tied at the moment, as in the board of directors of Morecambe Football Club Limited. They're, they're, they look after the limited company and they're there to protect that and do what they need to do to make sure it trades effectively. And their hands are really tied. You know, we, we, there's, there's question marks about, you know, a, 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 a piece of uh, an article that's put out or, a, a, you know, an announcement put out, a statement by, by Graham. And, you know, you don't know the circumstances of why he had to make that statement. You know, um, my understanding is that um Mr. Johal put in a small amount of money um as equity, um, which is some a small amount of money that, you know, maybe is goodwill. And then that was then tied to, you know, that well, what were the conditions that were put on that statement? You know, what did Morgan Football Club have to stay in, in about that and everything else? And it's a very difficult position to be in um as a as a board of director of the limited company who, you know, they're doing their absolute best to protect things. Us as supporters as long as we stick within the letter of the law, we don't libel anybody or do anything else, we can ask the difficult questions. And nobody, when Joseph Keller was around, asked difficult questions. There was a group of people on Shrimp's Voices who went and, you know, started to speculate and show all the detail about him and about Lemos and everything else. But nobody as an organisation asked the question. And what the Shrimp's Trust has done brilliantly, in my view, and as since it started, is basically have a really good website that lays out everything, all the detail, but then has got a thousand more fans together and said, we together ask the difficult questions. We're the ones who will get out in your faces and tell you whether you should, you know, actually... Are you a good guardian of Morecambe Football Club, as in, you know, not the business, but us as a club and what everything that we stand for? And that's the real value in the Shrimp Sussan. And I'm staggered there's not put more people who aren't members because it, it is just that's our lifeblood. That is the thing that, you know, puts us all together and helps us stand up to the to anybody that we, you know, who potentially could destroy what we have. And uh, and like I say, the difficult questions that need asking are, you know, Sabja. Have you got the money? And if so, where did it come from? Because <laughs> there's no evidence here. And those are the two interesting questions. Yeah. It's, it's and, as simple and, as that, isn't it? And really? the, board of direct, the board of directors can't publicly say that. They can't state that and they can't yeah. do it else because they're all that you know they've got to do it. But we can. And yeah. and it you know it's and great I, that, you know, that Shrimp's just doing exactly what it was there for to do, which is protect protect exactly. from the club. There is there's a there's a, a doing some research, and there's a couple of things that have come up. Obviously, there was this week. The rather interesting, um, um, the SST gentleman on Twitter discovered the uh, the the website that disappeared, 
which appeared and then disappeared, uh, which I'm not going to say too much about, but, uh, you know, uh, we think Saab is claiming that's not him. Well, they, so, no, they, 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 just for clarity, there's two websites that have disappeared. So the first one was the Saab Capital website, and that, that appears to have gone. And then there was a second one, which was found by a guy on Twitter. And apparently, allegedly, Mr. Jahar claims that's nothing to do with him. And, you know, yeah, we, we can't say whether that is or not. No. It just seems a bit weird that when these issues have been raised about both companies um, or various things, or miraculously, the websites disappear within a short time afterwards. And again, you know, that that smells a little bit weird um you know but it, and everybody can make suppositions about that but again it just you know on their own yes he may not have owned that website or, he, or whatever he claimed and whatever but the Saab Capital one was undoubtedly is and that's gone so you know why why pull down your website why avoid inspection and why block people on Twitter because they go and say things about you or something else you know if, you, if, if you're credible and you've got something to say, you, you stand behind what, what you do, you know. It's true, yeah. And therein lies the problem. And the mm. other thing that's been brought to my attention, uh, which <clears throat> is quite interesting, and I've double-checked it and it's correct, and the club the club actually came out before Christmas and in a press release said that the uh, the, 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 um, the the new owners, prospective new owners, had, had uh, submitted the paperwork to the EFL and the club, Actually, I've looked back and they did actually say that. And yet, in the Lancashire Evening Post last night, uh, that's Wednesday as we're recording, uh, they reported that Saab was saying the paperwork's going in later this week. So, uh, yeah, it could have been, could have been, could have been partly. You know, they, they, we, again, we don't know. You know, they, they could have, they could. Um, Jason Whittingham could have told the board of directors that the papers had been submitted, or somebody could have told them, but then it didn't happen. Yeah. All, 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 all we know, all is, I know is why, why would the club release a, a, a statement saying that, that they think it's been done, and then Saab says he's doing it again? I, 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 possibly, I'd love to ask him myself. I would yeah. love to ask him myself. And obviously, he's free if he wants to come on here next week uh, onto Shrimpnet. We'd gladly talk to him and see what he has to say. But obviously, he hasn't got that right at the moment. So, uh, yes, it's speculation. Uh, but as it stands, you know, I think I think we'll 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 leave it with the smell test and something doesn't smell quite right. But yeah, the, the one thing I would add is, I mean, obviously, the, you know that you know they, you can we can speculate and we can say everything else. The, 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 going back to the very first thing I said was that Morecambe Football Club needs to be bought, and I think the problem, in my view, is possibly that. The amount of money that's allegedly on the table is significantly more than others are willing to pay. Now, if you're if somebody's offered, say, I'm, I'm pure speculation, there's nothing to do with the actual numbers. Let's say somebody offered two million pounds more for Morecambe Football Club than somebody else was prepared to pay for it. Would you hang on and wait and wait and wait to see whether actually that they get through? And and because Jason ultimately, if somebody goes and puts X millions of pounds in his bank account and he then walks away through that business. Happy days for him, yeah? Now, the problem for us is how long this process goes on because that undermines everything. That You know, it can undermine the club. It can undermine security. And a lot of that happened with all the speculation around Joseph Caller and everything else. And yeah. it really, you know, people are thinking about their jobs and everything else. And the, the one thing that we have to do is get this cleaned up. So there's a bit of pressure on Jason as well because if Jason also does not think that there's going to be a credible bid come forward or the paperwork has not been correctly submitted to the FL or whatever it might be, then he also maybe he needs to just have a bit of a think and say, you know, 
maybe I need to look at other bids. If there are other bids on the table, maybe I just need to take a step back because if I don't close this deal now, how long is it going to be? You know, are other people going to walk away, do whatever? He needs to just have a little think and say, you know, what's in the best interest of, of not only of himself, but, you know, in terms of getting a deal done and closed because, you know, he, he could lose the opportunities that potentially other opportunities in front of him. So, if he's listening, that would be a nice little thing that you could have a think about um, whether somebody else is actually going to cough up or not. It's a fair point. Um, so back to well, before we go, um, you know, where, where do we go from here, Jack? What what happens next from the trust point of view? Well, we, we have actually opened dialogue um, with with uh, South Capital, so we're hopeful of, of organising a meeting. Um, you know, as we sort of said in the statement um, again earlier in the week, you know, um, we do, we do want to ask the questions and, and obviously invite the opportunity for for answers. Um, you know, and that that would be the case for any potential yeah. purchaser of the club. You know, we we we're a small family club, uh, and you know that the fans are the biggest stakeholder in that. So, and we're representing those. Um, and you know, if, if if there's any serious owner out there, they would speak to us and, uh, you know, hear, hear our side of, um, you know, of things. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can we can get some clarity on on everything. Well, uh, I, I, you must, uh, you must, well, obviously Joel can keep us pinned with uh, how that's gone on. And hopefully we'll, we'll get some, you know, hopefully you'll get some interesting dialogue with him because that would be illuminating for all of us, wouldn't it? And hopefully it could either work one of two ways. It could put our minds at rest. Or it could get us to speculate even more and ask even more difficult questions. We shall see. But uh, going back to the uh, on-field activities, um, Forest Green at home on Saturday. Uh, get your tickets now. Um, I I quite fancy a vegan pie on Saturday. What about you, Joel? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, go go topical for the for the for the, for the visit of Forest Green. And yeah, I think just talking of on the pitch stuff, obviously. I think it's probably worth mentioning Derek and the players and all of this. Uh, you know, they're, they're not stupid. They've got eyes. They've got phones. They've probably got some idea of what's going on. Yet, yeah, despite all that, they're knuckling down. They're, they're, they're cracking on. I mean, obviously, look, bad away defeats at Derby and Itz, which were kind of very likely to happen regardless of things. And at home, we've seen the, you know, the amazing turnaround performances. Uh, Derek and Greg, they probably would have liked to have a bit more financial freedom in, in January, but They've done a fantastic job bringing in some really good players, people like Sameo and, and and Crowley and Mellon, and obviously now Osterfield coming in as well late in the window. So I think we've got to give a lot of credit to them and how they've handled difficult circumstances and how them and the team haven't don't seem to have let it get to them and they, and they keep cracking on doing their job and doing it better, if any, and they're doing it particularly well at the moment. So, yeah, I think it's just important that we give a bit of credit to them as well. It leads to a shock, shock two-one away win at Sheffield Wednesday. I'm the worst tipster in the world. I have ruined it. Sorry, Paul. It was a brilliant. It's a brilliant transfer window, and I, I, I think in the circumstances, I, I massive credit to, to Derek and Greg. I mean, it's an extraordinary job that they've done. You know, the quality of players, Dan Crowley, obviously, you know, what we've seen from him. I can't wait to watch him again on Saturday. Um, but yeah, Forest Green, um, Duncan Ferguson there, low roof lot of noise you eating a vegan pie and that's definitely going to be a brave fart with a, with a <laughs> uh, 
with a vegan pie, and we're all going to be in trouble off the back of that one. With peas and gravy, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm slightly worried about that, to say the least. Yeah, true. Yeah, stand well clear. (laughs) So, um, do do let us know uh, if you get any joy with uh, Sam Jot. Obviously, um, I hope he turns out to be real. I hope he's got 50 million in the bank. Because uh, my thinking on it is obviously it's all right buying the club for five million, but if we're losing five hundred thousand a year, and you want to invest and build another stand, and da 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 da, you're going to need a damn sight more than five million, aren't you? But that's just me. I'll keep buying the lottery tickets. Uh, thanks to Posh. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to Joel as always. Um, join us again next week for more illuminations from Shrimpnet. Uh, this has been episode number twenty-four of the season. Keep your chins up. Forest Green at home. We can win. See you next week.